Welcome to Common Ground Berlin, a podcast in which we delve into issues that matter to you and the German capital and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Today's topic is a popular one we discuss here every year, and that's the state of affordable housing in Berlin. Unfortunately, the news is dire every time we do. Rents continue to skyrocket as the inventory of apartments remains low. And if you want to buy a home, that also isn't cheap, although rising interest rates are making it slightly less expensive at the moment. So why can't the government of this German city-state, once described as, quote, poor but sexy, get its runaway costs and housing shortage under control? Or should they just stay out of it? For answers, I am joined via Zoom by Vipka Vano, who is the director of the Berlin Tenants Association. Welcome, Vipka. Hello, everybody. And in our studio, we have Konstantin Khaladelin, who is a senior researcher and housing expert at the German Institute for Economic Research in Berlin. Welcome, Konstantin. Thank you. Vipka, I'll start with you. Um, Immo Scout 24 last summer reported an unprecedented surge in rent rates, 14% in Berlin, which in Germany was second only to Munich, where it was 16%. Why are rents in Berlin going up so quickly? Well, there are several reasons for it. Uh, one reason is, for example, the increased influx, meaning that more people are coming to Berlin, coming to Munich and looking for affordable apartments. At the same time, the supply of apartments cannot meet the demand. So there's a lack of affordable housing. And everybody who's looking for an apartment and is really happy in the end to find an apartment uh, does not have the idea to use the instruments for rental control, like, for example, the Mietpreisbremse. So in these new contracts, uh, the rents are most of the time agreed that are much too high than they should be. So I think these are the main three reasons that make the rents uh, altogether climb up. Konstantin, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I just uh, would like to add some numbers to support the uh, the uh, view represented by Vipke, so, and also to suggest an additional factor that could have played a role in this uh, situation. So talking about um, the demand side, we see that uh, there's a huge increase in migration. In the last year, there were almost one and a half million people coming to Germany, more than leaving Germany, and that's a record level since 1950. And in this year, we are expecting to have at least 500,000 netto migration more. So it means that the pressure on the housing market, in particular on rental housing market, is going to be high even in this year and in the years to follow. At the same time, we have uh, housing construction, which is stagnating. So we will not achieve the 400,000 units mark suggested by the federal government in the next years. 400,000 in Berlin or for the country? For the whole country, yeah. In Berlin, I think it's 20,000. Uh, Vipke, correct me if I'm wrong. This means that the gap between demand and supply is not being closed. It's far from being closed, in fact. And due to uh, surge in interest rates, many people gave up on becoming homeowners. And this means an additional pressure on the rental market. And so even though the prices are coming down a little bit with the housing sales, that's not enticing people to go yeah, for it. Exactly. Indeed. By this time, the prices uh, has gone down by 10%, as far as I know. But the interest rate increase is so big that it doesn't allow the prices to compensate the interest burden. So if you compute the uh, the burden of interest that the uh, households have to pay, taking into account their incomes, the interest rate and the declining prices of the uh, properties, that then even in this case, you will be at the higher interest burden than in the end of 2021. 
when the interest rates started to increase. Vipka, is the new CDU-led government in Berlin, if we can take this back to Berlin for a moment, uh, doing anything different to address the housing shortage and rising rents than the last government that was here? And I'm guessing that in Eignung, which was one of the things that was listed or was mentioned as a possible help for increasing the number of available units, uh, that that expropriation effort is no longer happening. Now the um, actual government in Berlin um, is against Enteignung. Um, they prioritize uh, new constructions, uh, basically. Uh, they say new construction, new building uh, apartments is the solution. We are not the same opinion. We think only new construction cannot be the answer of all these questions. Uh, even if you look what kind of apartments are made by new constructions, either the apartments with really high rents or condominiums, um, which have no impact on the uh, most of the Berlin population who are looking for affordable apartments. And that is a reason why I think um, a lot of the Berlin population, for them, it's no opportunity to buy their apartments because they can't afford it or they want to stay flexible and live in a rental apartment. So uh, let me come back to your question. What is uh, the government in Berlin is doing right now? Like I said, they prioritize the construction and the new building apartments. Uh, recently, the governing major announced that Berlin wants to pursue the Mietpreisbremse, the rent break more strictly and take stronger action against extraordinary rents. But uh, both of these points are federal laws. So Berlin is not really in the sphere of influence that. So um, our government right now doesn't really have the big solutions for ease up the rental market here. So a federal solution, we've sort of talked or hinted at this, and in uh, September, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz held a summit of industry leaders and other experts to address this uh, crippling housing shortage. Do you know, Konstantin, what came out of that meeting? I mean, did anything useful come out of it? I mean, I don't know any any particular solutions offered for, for the housing market, but uh, I can say that to a large extent this is a structural problem. On the one hand, there's a geographical mismatch because uh, in some areas you have uh, vacancy rates below 1%, like in Berlin, and in other areas you have vacancy rates which are above 10%, which is very high uh, according to German standards. And you also have a demographic mismatch because uh, most of the households in big cities, they are single-person households. Like in Berlin, it's uh, more than 52% while the existing housing stock is mostly composed of large housing, large flats, like uh, four rooms and more. I'm talking not about bedrooms, uh, but uh, in, in Germany, it's uh, everything is calculated. Uh, as a room, uh, as exactly. A room, yeah. So uh, they make up the, the majority of dwellings, and this means that uh, people are looking for smaller accommodation, cheaper accommodation, but uh, they don't find it because of the structure of the housing. Talking about new construction, yeah, indeed, it's very expensive. It, in part, it has to do with increased the construction costs, material and uh, wages, but at least theoretically this uh, notion of uh, filtering, meaning that uh, when uh, high-income households move into the newly constructed expensive dwellings, then they leave place in their former apartments that are a bit cheaper to the people uh, with uh, lower incomes. I don't know but how... Constantine, may I interrupt at yeah. this point because um, in very hard 
um, rental markets like Berlin or Munich, this effect does not uh, take place. When people move in uh, more expensive apartments, uh, then the apartments they leave is quite more expensive to the to the following household. In a market where you don't find any apartments, then you are uh, ready to pay a lot more rent than you should have to. So I think this effect you just uh, described doesn't work in a very um, extreme rental markets like Berlin. Yeah, well, I, I'm not aware of any research uh, for Berlin on this topic, so I cannot say really objectively whether it's uh, true or not. But uh, apparently, even if it works, it doesn't solve the problem completely. So we still have to deal with this problem in the next years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's clear and we agree that there's a shortage of housing and that has a lot to do with why <laughs> the rents are going up and uh, why prices are going up. But I'm curious, Constantine, because here in Berlin, the permits for building new properties fell by nearly a third in the first five months of this year compared to the same time last year. Why is that? I mean, is there no financial incentive to build something, whether yeah. it's small or big apartments? Yeah, well, first to be, um, how do you call it, just uh, the housing construction, the housing completions last year in Berlin increased. So it's a good sign. Talking about uh, building permits, there's always a lag between permits and uh, completions. And in the last uh, 12 years, since 2011, there was a huge um, gap between dwellings uh, being permitted and um, completions, housing completions. So there, there were many more permits and uh, buildings or housing units being uh, completed. In part, this can be this uh, decrease that we observe now can be explained as a decrease in this reserve. So the permits are coming closer to the to the completions. On the other hand, of course, there is another reason which has to do mostly with uh, the increased interest rates. If you look at the volume of the mortgage loans for housing construction, you see that it more than halved since the interest rates increased, meaning that demand for new housing decreased. So people cannot afford constructing or new housing or buying new housing. And this is, I think, the most important factor behind this tendency. Plus, you had uh, prices for materials and for wages uh, increasing. Now they are stagnating and it's uh, for their focus to decrease in the next year, but still they are pretty high compared to the previous dates. And uh, this also, to a certain extent, contributed to the more expensive housing and therefore to, to lower demand for, for housing and hence uh, lower construction. But as I said, I mean, last year at least we had uh, an increase in housing construction in Berlin. Let's see what is going to happen in this year. Although some experts uh, looking at Germany as a whole, they are forecasting that uh, this year and the next year we are going to see the decrease in the completions, which is more important than the housing permits, by the way. Just a quick follow-up on this building trend and, and this phenomenon you're describing in Berlin and in Germany to a larger extent, I guess. How does this compare to elsewhere in Europe? I mean, is this sort of thing going on everywhere? Because interest rates are up everywhere. Yeah, indeed. I mean, the interest rates situation is similar in, in uh, almost all European countries. But if you look at the uh, numbers characterizing construction, you see quite a heterogeneous picture. So I gathered some 
figures. It's um, important to notice that in different countries you measure construction activity differently. In some countries you use uh, housing permits. In other countries you use housing starts. And yet in, in other countries you use housing completions. Housing completions, of course, are more important because they represent the effective supply of housing. Housing permits, as we can see, do not always materialize. So if the number is increasing, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the, the number of uh, constructed units will go up. But what we see uh, looking at the figures in um, several European countries is that the, for example, housing completions, they uh, vary a lot. So from, uh, say, uh, uh, 25, 30% in Ireland last year, if we compare uh, percent, uh, compare 22 to 21, to minus 20% in some Scandinavian countries like uh, Sweden and Denmark. So Germany here is rather in the middle field. And uh, yeah, the figures, of course, uh, vary a lot uh, depending on what we are considering. Uh, housing starts, housing permits, and housing construction. For example, in, in Germany overall, last year there were 9% less housing permits, but 0.6% uh, more housing completion. So you see that these uh, two figures often go in opposite directions. Vipka, we've talked a little bit about how Berlin is doing or what the government here is doing or not doing. And I want to compare that with other German city-state governments or the federal government in terms of how they're addressing the rental housing shortage and escalating prices. Are other places doing it better or is what's happening in Berlin something that's happening everywhere? Um, the discussion in Germany right now is what I, I'm aware of is that they all focus on the uh, new construction as the only solution. There are some cities who do better than Berlin. For example, uh, Hamburg, uh, they have a little bit more new constructions apartments. But I have to emphasize again that new constructions alone cannot be the solution. You always have to focus on the housing stock which exists already because we lose affordable apartments in the stock every day to, for example, short-term rentals or furnished rentals, which make the rental very expensive. And in these kind of problems, um, the, the German cities don't really have solutions to fight against it. We have in Berlin a law which forbids, um, for example, uh, renting apartments to tourists or leave them uh, stay empty for a long time. But to get in, get into action with this law, it's very hard. It's a big process. Um, but from my point of view, it's a very important aspect you cannot uh, forget in that discussion because um, we cannot build that much until we have a relaxation on the on the housing market when we lose affordable housing, uh, affordable apartments from the stock every day. You raise a good point, and I'm, I see a lot of times on the internet or on Facebook or whatever where you have apartments advertised that are short-term rental only, or they're telling people you can only stay a year or two. I mean, is that even legal? Because I thought that unlimited rental contracts were sort of the law of Berlin, if not the law of the land. It is the law of Germany. Uh, rental law is basically uh, German law. And what you described, yeah, that's what we see here in Berlin uh, as well. 50% of some apartments that are offered are usually short-time rentals or furnished rentals. It depends. Usually it's allowed when you really have a reason, but then you have to um, respect the interests of the tenant as well. If the tenant comes here to Berlin and says, well, I'm 
here for a job, for example, for three months, so I really don't need a longer contract, then it's fine. But the reality is that a lot of landlords just um, put this reason even without asking their tenants. And the tenants are, would be more interested to have a long-lasting contract. And so in these cases, the short-term rental is forbidden because it's made up by the landlord. But like I said, with the Mietpreisbremse, a lot of people who are looking for an apartment for months are really happy to find finally an apartment and they're really afraid of get into a struggle with the landlord about these questions. So they just accept it and they don't do anything against it. But there are a lot of problems about contracts which are illegal. Let me get to the one I do want to ask, and that is another law that is, there is a law that is going to go into effect, and it's sort of staggered in various parts of the country, but what impact is the Gebäuden and Agigazettes going to have on the cost of homes and the sales of homes and rental prices? Because basically everyone's going to be required at some stage to update their heating systems, which is no cheap endeavor. Exactly. So in short, this law is about uh, replacing the heating systems based on fossil um, energy sources by uh, the heating based on the uh, renewable energies. For example, the, I don't know what's the English name, the uh, heat pumps you're talking about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. heat pumps, uh, they are very popular among the people who suggested this law. And uh, this is one of the main heating sources that uh, should replace the existing uh, fossil-based heatings. And of course, if you look at the prices, they already now about uh, 10, 15, 20,000 euros. So it means that uh, for a homeowner or for a landlord, it can be a big investment. In particular, if many of landlords and uh, homeowners start to replace uh, this, uh, their heating system at the same time, then it means that there was a huge increase in demand and the prices are going to go up. Plus, the uh, technology is relatively new, so the costs are relatively high. But, of course, with the passage of time, we are hoping that uh, when this uh, technology is going to be developed further, the uh, costs are going to decrease. But uh, how quickly they are going to decrease is, is a big question. So, in any case, it will be something in the five digits, which is, of course, a big, a big investment. And as any investment, it means that the costs of uh, the housing costs are going to increase both for homeowners and for tenants. Although we know from the previous research that the tenants are not uh, ready to accept the whole increase in the price because uh, typically in Germany, on average, the uh, rental households live about 10 years in one dwelling. But the uh, new heating system pays off probably within 30 years. So they are going to accept just the one third probably of the cost increase. And that can be a big problem because uh, then uh, the investment of landlords is going to, is not going to be paid off. So Vipka, the renters, are they going to feel this? I mean, is this building heating law or Gebäude and Agigazets, is that going to be passed on to the renters? Yes, I think that's going to happen. Um, this Gebäude in Agigazets is a challenge for all, for landlords and for tenants. But we need to modernize the building stock to achieve the climate protection targets. So there's no question that we have to be active in the building stock. But so far, it's that when 
landlords um, do a modernization, which is when you change the heating system, for example, or if you put in new windows, or if you do something with a facade from the house, if you put some uh, stuff on the on the house from outside, so that um, the energy lag will be smaller. If landlords do these kind of modernizations, then they can increase the rent afterwards, and that means uh, they can put eight percent of the investment costs for the modernization they can put on the rent from the tenants so this is what the law says right now and so when the landlords are made to modernize their um, housings in the future because of the heating law then it means that these modernization costs will affect the rents for the tenants so what we are asking for as a lobby for the tenants is that we have to lower these uh, modernization rate from 8% on 4%. And another problem is whenever a landlord increases rent after carrying out the modernization, the rent will rise permanently. And so right now it's that tenants have in the end uh, have to bear the modernization cost on their own. And this is a big problem. And here we have to find solutions. On the one hand, how can be the modernization uh, rent increase after modernization? How can that be lower for the tenants? On the other hand, how can be the landlords can be supported by the state, uh, by financial uh, substitutes to um, have not so many costs when they do a modernization? You said 8% they can put onto the rental contract. Is that 8% a month, like an 8% increase or 8% over Nine, a year? 8% of the investment costs for carrying out the modernization. So if you put in a new window, then you look at the cost, what it made for the windows, and from these costs, 8%. But there's a limit, a maximum 3 euro a square meter uh, for six years, um, but still three euro a square meter is for some households here in Berlin is a lot of money. And but is, but is that, it just a one time they can charge this, or can, no, as you say, no, the rents go every, up? Every 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 month. So even if the modernization measure has uh, is, is refinanced already, then still my rent uh, keeps that high. So I want to ask both of you, um, in recent years, Berlin jumped from 40th place to 19th place in terms of the most expensive rents per square meter in Europe. In some neighborhoods like Friedrichshain or Kreuzberg, the average rent has tripled. Do both of you think that this trend means Berliners are going to face price levels similar to Munich, London, or Paris in the foreseeable future? And I'll start with Konstantin. Yeah, thank you. Indeed, I, I did a research on this in 2014. So I, I wanted to know what's the uh, uh, how, how the price levels can be compared across European countries. I did it for 48 uh, uh, cities. And uh, among them, Berlin was uh, somewhere in the middle. It had um, uh, house prices of about 2,000 euros per square meter, whereas in London and Paris, uh, they were more than 10,000. And in, in Munich, uh, they were, I think, 4,000 uh, euros per square meter. Now we have 5,000 euros per square meter in Berlin. And uh, at that time, 10 years ago, Berlin was, uh, if you look at the seven biggest cities in Germany, it was uh, somewhere in the middle, but closer to the lower end. 
only Düsseldorf and Cologne had lower prices. Now it uh, definitely shifted to the upper bound of this ranking. So I think it's quite possible that it will achieve the levels comparable to those in Munich. But uh, I don't think that in the nearest future we'll see the levels of Paris and London. They are simply too high compared to, to those in Berlin. Do you agree, Vipko? Yeah, I'm afraid um, that we have this development, um, which is very sad because seeing what is happening in London, Prague and Rome and other capitals in Europe, um, we should be much smarter and see the danger which can uh, happen to Berlin. Um, Berlin is attractive for people who want to live here, which is fine. But on the other hand, it creates business models that make living more and more expensive and which um, makes some districts in Berlin more and more expensive and attractive. So there is like a like a spiral which um, heats up the prices. And so we really have to take action here and uh, The problem is Berlin itself cannot really do so much with uh, in terms of the regulation of the tenants' law, for example. There we are addicted from the German laws and from the German executive that they make better laws so that we take care that, for example, some regulations take place. Otherwise, I don't see what else could be helped besides, of course, of building new apartments, but not only new apartments, but new apartments which are affordable and which match with the people who are looking for apartments here in Berlin. It cannot be possible that um, we build new apartments here. And if you go to the town and see all these new apartments in a high price segment, you, you realize that lots of these apartments are empty because the tenants of these empty apartments are maybe people who live in totally other uh, cities and come to Berlin for the weekend or uh, just to have a short trip here. And during the rest of the year, these apartments are empty. And this is a situation we can not accept anymore. We have to find ways how to ease the uh, rental market at this point. Yeah, I live across from one of those apartments. Since we've lived there uh, in 12 years, once a year, maybe the people come and stay in the apartment and it's empty. Which is, yeah, this is, is uh, ridiculous. It is it's crazy. It is. Um, so my last question to both of you, and we've talked about some of the possible solutions, but if you had to pick one thing and one thing immediate that either the Berlin or federal government must do or must at least start working on uh, to get this shortage of affordable housing under control, what would it be? And I'll start with you, Konstantin. We'll end with Vipka. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a complicated question. So, because uh, I'm, I'm looking currently at different uh, housing policies and there are lots of them. Some of them are prohibiting like rent control. Some of them are stimulating like housing construction, housing benefits or different uh, benefits to homeowners. And I see that uh, none of them is free from uh, disadvantages. So they can both deliver something good like uh, lower rents or more housing, affordable housing, but at the same time they have lots of disadvantages like uh, price increases and uh, decreases of um, quality of housing or even of the quantity of housing. So I'm not really uh, sure which of these measures, of these uh, multiple measures can be uh, taken 
and uh, can be used as a means that solves all the problems. So uh, for me, I think we have, first of all, to make um, a kind of um, catalog of these measures to see what their pluses and minuses, what their cons and, and uh, pros, and uh, to try to realize what a combination of these measures will do if we apply it uh, to the current situation. But I'm not ready to say, just take this measure and it will solve all of your problems. Vipka, is there a solution that you think the government, uh, whether in Berlin or on a federal level, should get to quickly to help address this issue? They have to be aware of uh, what I said before, um, that the problems are also have to be solved in the housing stock. So we have to protect existing affordable housing in the stock. That means prohibit vacancies, prohibit furnished short-term rent routes, and tighten the rent break, uh, the Mietpreisbremse. Also, we need incentives to encourage um, landlords to build permanently committed social housing. And if we have new constructions, we need new constructions, but we need new constructions with a sense of proportion and oriented to the needs of the Berlin population. That means, first of all, affordable housing, which has to be constructed. That was Vipke Werner, who is the director of the Berlin Tenants Association. And my other guest here in the studio was Konstantin Khaladilin, who is a senior researcher and housing expert at the German Institute for Economic Research in Berlin. Thank you both for being on Common Ground Berlin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and thank you for listening. Common Ground Berlin's senior producer is Dina El Sayed, and our social media intern is Maya Ravlik. Our podcast is funded by a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action, and our partners are Goethe Institute and the German Marshall Fund of the United States. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CG Berlin Podcast.